tonight's broadcast, friends. It's great to have you all here. Of course, I'm your host, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, and you are tuned into Corbett Report Radio right here on the Republic Broadcasting Network. And I'm coming to you, of course, as always, from the sunny climes of western Japan, coming to you from my palatial home recording studios and blasting out on 1140KHFX in Dallas-Fort Worth. So it is a small world after all, and wherever you are in the world tonight, I'd like to welcome you to, to the broadcast. And thank you, as always, for investing your time and your mental energies in true independent alternative media. And on that note, I would also like to, uh, to just let you, everyone know that uh, it looks like we have Dan Dix of PressForTruth.ca con- uh, confirmed for tomorrow night. Uh, and we're going to be talking about his brand new website, PressForTruth.tv. So I'm very much looking forward to that, and I hope you will check out his website in the meantime so that you're prepared for tomorrow night's broadcast. But on tonight's broadcast... We have quite a conversation lined up for you, and we're going to be talking to Dr. Jeffrey Kay, and he's a Bay Area psychologist, and he's reported extensively on America's torture policies and on Guantanamo. He writes for truthout.org, and he has been writing a series in connection with Jason Leopold about a whistleblower in the U.S. intelligence community and, well, a, a really incredibly important story about being called off of the hunt for Osama bin Laden before 9-11 that has gotten almost no traction in any media, whether uh, mainstream or alternative. So it is a pleasure and an honor to have him here tonight to discuss this extremely important topic. And as I understand, he's already on the line. So Dr. Jeffrey Kay, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us tonight. Thanks, James. Thanks very much for inviting me. Well, it's great to have you here to talk about this incredibly important story that, as I say, has not gotten a great deal of attention, unfortunately, because it is truly a fascinating tale, but it is quite convoluted, and there are uh, some twists and turns and things that people should know about. So I'll direct people first off to truthout.org, where they can find the latest article on this subject about new documents suggest DOD watchdog covered up intelligence units work tracking 9-11 terrorists. And uh, there's a series of articles on this that they can follow from from that article. But before we get into the meat and potatoes, we only have a couple of minutes here before the first break. So perhaps we can start by just hearing a little bit about yourself and your own background. Oh, well, I'm a clinical psychologist. I have a private practice in San Francisco, California. I um, uh, Part of my practice, uh, which will lead into the later story, was uh, working, although I don't do as much of it anymore, but working with torture victims through a local agency, Survivors International, that um, helped um, uh, asylum case individuals who had come to the United States who had been tortured in other countries, um, both with psychological treatment and and assessments to help them prove their case with uh, the IRS, later Department of Homeland Security. So I did forensic evaluations of uh, torture victims. That's well, part that, of what made me very interested, of course, in, as, as the torture story grew out of uh, um, in the uh, early part of the century after the uh, invasion of Iraq. Well, that's exactly right. And, and as I say, you have done some extensive uh, reporting on the subject of the torture in Guantanamo. And I think that's one of the things that, that always gets to me about the, the 9-11 Commission report is that it was based on torture testimony that the commissioners themselves were not even allowed to, to look at directly. They were only given the, the summaries of that, that torture. And then, of course, the CIA destroyed many of the documents related to their, their interrogations. So, um, so it's just a complete mess from uh, start to finish. But tonight we're talking about 
Absolutely fascinating subject, as I say, and it's uh, it's quite detailed, so I hope you have your pen and paper ready out there in the listening audience, because we're going to be going through a whirlwind of information about a little-known part of the U.S. intelligence community, the JFIC, the Joint Forces Intelligence Command. So stay tuned, stay right there. We're going to be back after these messages talking to Dr. Jeffrey Kay about JFIC and the hunt for Osama bin Laden. Radio. And of course, I'm your host, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, coming to you live tonight all the way from Western Japan. And tonight, we're honored to be joined on the line by Dr. Jeffrey Kay, who has been writing a series of articles for Truthout.org about a, well, a rather unknown part of the U.S. intelligence community and its hunt for Osama bin Laden pre-9-11 and all of the scandals that have resulted uh, from that that unfortunately are not receiving a great deal of traction in the media, but definitely deserve our attention. So before we get back into that, I'd just like to let the listeners know about a developing story that I have my eye on that I think is extremely important, and I know it's not particularly sexy, and I know it's not a topic that a lot of people like to to think about, but Central Asia is an extremely important part on the geopolitical grand chessboard right now, and I'd like to just direct people to what's going on in Kazakhstan right now with the uh, latest coming out from stratrisks.com. Kazakh police chief defends use of live rounds. Kazakh government shuts down Internet. And for people who are looking more uh, for the background to this story and what this is, might all be about, I would direct them to a video report that I did for boilingfrogspost.com last week, Spotlight Kazakhstan, where we went through all of this. And lo and behold, I, I said in the end of that report that this is an area to keep your eye out or as uh, as Kazakhstan turns more and more towards China, and all of a sudden they're having all of these protests and things in their oil cities. So, uh, so again, it's extremely interesting development. I certainly hope people have their eye on that. But tonight we're talking about a very different topic. We're talking to Dr. Jeffrey Kay. As I say, he's been writing a series of reports for uh, truthout.org, but I understand, Dr. Kay, you have your own website. Perhaps you could direct people to that as well. Yeah, I have my own website, which reproduces the... Uh, um the stories, of course, on uh, JFIC and uh, 9-11, but also many stories I've been writing for the, over the past four years or so, and it's known as Invictus, no relationship to the movie that came out by the same name. Um, and it's www.valteensblog.blogspot.com. Or simply Valteen with a V, V-A-L-T-I-N-S. B-L-O-G, valteensblog.blogspot.com. Okay, excellent. Well, then moving into this story that, that uh, you've been working on for, for some months now with uh, Jason Leopold of truthout.org, as I mentioned, perhaps we can start by just getting a handle on some of the, the characters and some of the organizations here that may be unfamiliar to some of the listeners, like right. the, the JFIC and this Iron Man whistleblower. So I don't know where you'd like to start with this, but perhaps you could set the table for tonight's conversation with some background on these people. Sure, that sounds like an excellent idea. Um, JFIC, the Joint Forces Intelligence Command, you'll hear me refer to a lot. It doesn't, by the way, exist anymore. Neither does Joint Forces Command. It was um, interestingly, uh, well, let me tell you what Joint Forces Command was first, and then it might make more sense. The United States military divides the world up 
into various uh, command centers. People who read the news may have read about Cent, they'll read about CENTCOM or Central Command, or they'll read about Southcom or Southern Command, which is, by the way, um, Guantanamo falls under their purview. Um, another, uh, Pacific Command or PACCOM. These are the major command centers. Joint Forces Command was the old Atlantic Command, and in 1999, in a one of us endless reorganizations that seemed to go on in the Pentagon. They created, uh, they were quite enamored with the idea of jointness, as they call it, and they created Joint Forces Command, and they drew in top officers from different um, parts of the military services, the Navy, the um, Marine Corps, the Army, and um, it had a responsibility for uh, the training of all these joint task forces and the jointness, and they also, interestingly enough, for those who followed the creation of NORTHCOM later, which was North American Command, they um, had a division known as Civil Support, in which um, they were also responsible for military operations on American soil in relation to supporting um, civil authorities under uh, a supposed WMD or terrorist attack. Um that becomes very important about the organization I'm going to talk about, which was JFIC. JFIC was the Joint Forces Intelligence Command. It was the intelligence unit of Joint Forces Command. And within Joint Forces Intelligence Command was a, you know, smaller components, as you can imagine. This is a bureaucratic organization. And they had a, uh, a division within it, which was known as the Asymmetrical Threats Division. They also called it DO5. And I'll, I'll try and not spew out too many uh, acronyms because it just makes people's eyes blaze over. Um, but the main point to remember here is that a small intelligence unit embedded within the central intelligence unit that was this military uh, intelligence command within Joint Forces Command was a, a prototype of what we now call the fusion center and they would use all sorts of, they would gather as much information from all the different parts of the military intelligence and civilian, well, or other governmental intelligence, such as the CIA and the NSA, and they would try and put together all the information into, um, um, and were tasked with um, trying to understand what was going on uh, with terrorists, where they would strike, um, and in particular, of course, they had a focus. They were created in 1999, not long before the bombing of the USS Cole. Um, and they certainly were uh, fixated on al-Qaeda and bin Laden and uh, uh, trying to uh, track them down as well. Uh, I became aware of this story when um, looking for some other information. I wasn't really seeking uh, to become a 9-11 investigator. I, the story just seemed so huge to me, and I had more, more than my hands full trying to get to the bottom of uh, how the torture was organized in this country, um, that I came across in, uh, the fact that there had been an inspector general's report. Um, this was a Pentagon report um, to answer the allegations of an intelligence um, officer, uh, intelligence analyst, um, whose name uh, is not, was not publicly given, but who the Inspector General report called Iron Man. Why they gave him that name, I don't know. But uh, this fellow Iron Man was a uh, um, top leader of the Asymmetrical Threats Division within JFIC, Joint Forces Intelligence. 
he had filed a complaint that uh, he had, uh, after 9-11, as people might remember, people know about the 9-11 Commission. Well, before the 9-11 Commission, there was the uh, uh, joint inquiry by Congress over the attacks on 9-11. Uh, this was uh, took place in 2002, and the investigators from the Joint Congressional uh, Committee came to uh, the Joint Forces Command, and they said, what do your folks know about, uh, what were you doing in the lead-up to 9-11? You know, give us, you know, answer these questions, and gave them a list of 13 uh, questions to answer, and uh, according to this man who was the uh, deputy director of the asymmetric threats division who later was its acting director um the joint forces command uh sent back uh, a fairy tale to congressional investigators and basically told them we didn't know anything and uh it wasn't our purview we didn't do any we we this wasn't what we did we wouldn't know anything about this um and it was a lie and he knew it and he did a couple of things. Uh, he protested that. He called up the uh, Defense Intelligence Agency Congressional Liaison and said, uh, hey, uh, you're not getting the information here and so the, that you're supposed to give for the Congress, the investigators. And the guy said, well, email me the information. I'll give it to them. And he did email them the information uh, that he had, which were uh, copies of slides, and other documentary information that that showed that uh, the work they what the work was that they did, but this information either never reached Congress or Congress itself um, um, suppressed it because it never showed up in the um, report by the Joint Congressional Inquiry, which came out in late 2002, and it never was passed on, and certainly never surfaced in the 9/11 Commission report. In fact, if you read either of those two reports, you'll find almost not even more than one paragraph, literally, about the work of military intelligence units involved in having anything to do with tracking terrorists or anything to do with 9-11 at all. Quite a startling fact when you realize that the bulk of the money um, that this country spends on intelligence uh, goes to the military. And yet, almost nothing has been discussed to this day um, about the work of the military intelligence uh, units around 9-11, with the exception, the notable exception, of the scandal around the um, uh, Lieutenant Schaffer. Able Danger. Uh, yes. Able Danger, Danger. thank you. Um, with that one exception, um, in, which, interestingly, interestingly enough, leaves people with the impression that uh, Able Danger was the only... Uh, um, outfit that had anything to do potentially with 9-11 uh, and intelligence, and yet in the military, and yet that isn't true at all. Um, right, and, and, and just for people out there who here might not that. remember the Able Danger story, that one revolved around the Defense Intelligence Agency, and a, a whistleblower came out afterwards to try to tell the 9-11 Commission about it, uh, called Lieutenant Anthony Schaefer, and he uh, was... Well, he was listened to by uh, Commission Director, uh, uh, Executive Director Zelikow, but it never found its way into the report. So for people like myself who don't have a good grasp on the, the layout of military intelligence, uh, how does DIA, I mean, is that is that a completely different section from JFIC? Are they related in any way? Well, it's, it's um, somewhat opaque, and I believe um, on that's on purpose. But the Defense Intelligence Agency, or the DIA, is supposed to be 
the primary umbrella intelligence um, agency for the military. Um, if you ever go to their website, um, there's actually a history that they give, which is, is very interesting. And um, the history shows that actually... Um, there? All right. Well, we've got the music coming up, so we'll we'll oh. take a break, but we'll be right okay. back with Dr. Jeffrey Kate right after these messages. Everyone I know goes away in the air. Welcome back, my friends. You are tuned into Corbett Report Radio, and tonight we're talking to Dr. Jeffrey Kay, who has been writing a series of articles for truthout.org about a very interesting and neglected part of the quote-unquote intelligence failures in the run-up to 9-11, and uh, it's yet another one to add to the list of the growing and growing list, and who would have thought all these years later it would still continue to grow, but here's another bombshell story that Again, it's not getting a lot of attention in other corners of the media, so I'm hoping to shine the spotlight on it today. So, again, there will be links in the show notes for today's episode at CorbettReport.com slash radio so that you can go and find and read more about this in his various articles. But uh, just before the break, Dr. K, you were making the point about uh, the Defense Intelligence Agency, which had hosted the Able Danger program, which many people have probably heard about, and how that was kind of the umbrella organization for military intelligence. But uh, but continuing with that. My main point here is just that the Joint Forces Intelligence Command in the chain of command answered to the Intelligence Directorate at Joint Forces Command. It was did not answer, at least in a direct chain, to the Defense Intelligence Agency. How the Defense Intelligence Agency links up with the other subordinate intelligence components um, of other commands uh, around the world, military commands, is unclear to me, to be honest. Um, but I will say here that uh, if you worked for JFIC in the year 2000, uh, you answered to your the commanders at Joint Forces Command, not to the DIA. At least and not directly. at the beginning of the show. You were making the point that JFIC no longer exists. So right. what, what happened there? Well, uh, U.S. Joint Forces Command was uh, scuttled just earlier this year. It was disassembled, supposedly for cost-cutting measures. And um, it's different components scattered in ways that are unclear to me yet. I know that some of the JFIC uh, intelligence uh, work still apparently takes place under uh, some kind of, uh, I'm not sure which command, is back in Norfolk, Virginia, but other components, um, particularly the civil support component, um, I believe is now part of NORTHCOM. Here, that's the, the part of uh, JFIC that was working... Um, to uh, support civil, uh, military civil support to civilian agencies in the United States. Of course, that's what they say they're doing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to um, to assist with the potential of some mass terrorist, you know, um, WMA attack within the United States. That's well, part this, of their mission. I, as I say, this part is. Of this, this is a fascinating story, but I, I fear we may be losing people in, in the, right. the letters and organizations and the, yeah. the flow charts that might be needed for this. But but basically, yeah. when you boil down the Iron Man whistleblower story, what is it that we're looking at here? Um, okay, a couple of things. One was that um, Iron Man was able to document that his organization, his unit within the intel- military intelligence, had been tracking Osama bin Laden 
They even knew what his house was in Kandahar. And uh, um, looking at the training camps, et cetera, and sometime in late 2000, the year 2000, uh, his senior o- command officer within JFIT came to him and said, uh, uh, you can't do that anymore. Um, and he and the group of people working with him were stopped from the tracking of Osama bin Laden, and uh, they were told that it was just outside of their, uh, this was now suddenly outside of their um, official duties. Um, they were, of course, somewhat upset by this um, because they thought that they, you know, had done really great work. So the mystery is, and becomes a bigger mystery in the aftermath, since we know about 9-11, is why did the U.S. military shut down an elite intelligence unit, which was tracking Osama bin Laden, um, in uh, approximately a year prior to 9-11? You know, I would note that this comes at the same time that um, of the recent uh, um, um, uh, controversies over the CIA, you know, um, not uh, telling the FBI um, or or anyone else in the uh, U.S. domestic um, law enforcement intelligence agencies about the entree into the United States of uh, al-Qaeda terrorists who later uh, would make up, um, speaking of um, Khalid al-Midhar and his associate who uh, were a part, of course, of the 9-11 bombing. So this is a, a, that's been sometimes said, well, the 9-11 Commission report and others have said this was some kind of a, bureaucratic mix-up, this is the kind of thing that, but when you start seeing multiple shutdowns of information, turning uh, working intelligence people anyway, not those who are at policy levels, but working people away from the very uh, terrorist networks that would um, be involved in uh, 9-11, you have to ask yourself, why did this happen? And, and, and why let's flesh that out, because, again, it's not just mm-hmm. one or two cases. Um, there's the case of Iron Man and JFIC. There's the case you mentioned of uh, Almadar and his accomplice, whose name escapes me at the moment, uh, right. who, again, the CIA knew had entered the United States or had yeah. a visa to enter the United States and did not tell the FBI, um, and specifically did not tell uh, the National Security Director, um, Richard Clark. Uh, right. There was um, uh, yeah, the are. FBI agents right. who had been uh, trying to warn about the, the people taking uh, lessons at uh, various flight schools, and uh, they were shut down. There was the people in the FBI who were trying to investigate uh, Musawi and trying to get the information right. out from his laptop. They were specifically denied that, uh, right. that request. There was the, uh, the Able Danger, Able Danger program uh-huh. that was uh, yeah. specifically had identified some of the people, according to, to people within that uh, program, had identified some of the, the hijackers, including Muhammad Atta. Uh, again, just report after report from so many different branches of the military that it, right. uh, sorry, of the intelligence community in general, that it does add up to a much bigger picture. So yeah. when we come back, again, let's take a short break, but when we come back, we'll have time to flesh out and go into some real detail about the meat and potatoes of this Iron Man story. And for anyone out there, if you would like to get in on this conversation and ask some questions, uh, you can join us at 1-800-313-9443. That's 1-800-313-9443. We'll be back after this. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth.
Okay, friends, we're back here on Corbett Report Radio talking to Dr. Jeffrey Kay, who has been writing a series of articles based on the uh, whistleblowing story of someone identified as Iron Man who was part of the Joint Forces Intelligence uh, Command and uh, specifically the Asymmetrical Threats Division that was working on tracking down terrorist threats generally and Osama bin Laden specifically and had identified various things, and that investigation was called off in late 2000, just a year before 9-11. And as we were noting before the break, this is, of course, another data point on a very, very large graph showing a really orchestrated intelligence failure, not an intelligence failure per se, but uh, but really more of a stand down when you start to look at all of the various points on that graph. But uh, but uh, Dr. K, you, you made the point off air in the break that this is not just important for that particular aspect, although that is important to look at. But there's another important uh, point to this story, so let's get into that and uh, talk a little bit about who knew what when. Right. In in um, in his complaint to the Inspector General, Iron Man, who was the uh, then acting later deputy later acting director of the Asymmetric Threats Division, um, documented or, or made clear that, and the Inspector General did not deny this, that his group, his organization, had briefed. Numerous people throughout the military hierarchy and other intelligence agencies on their work, including the tracking of bin Laden. This included members of the CIA, the NSA, the the NCIS, which is the Naval um, Criminal Intelligence Service, um, but also top military officials, including, of course, within his own command, U.S. Joint Forces Command. One of those officials was... um, the uh, Vice Admiral Martin J. Meyer, who was Deputy Commander-in-Chief at the time of U.S. Joint Forces Command, who uh, was at the meeting where it was discussed that um, the top al-Qaeda targets would be the World Trade Center and the Pentagon. This was in the summer of uh, 2000. And yet, here we have Major General Larry Arnold, the commander of NORAD region, um, telling um, in a book, not that long ago, and this is linked in the Truthout article, that Meyer came to him, uh, Vice Admiral Meyer, two weeks before the 9-11 attacks and told them that NORAD's concern about uh, Osama bin Laden as a possible threat uh, was unfounded. Quote, if everyone would just turn off CNN, there wouldn't be a threat from Osama bin Laden, said this Vice Admiral, who had actually been briefed on the threat by bin Laden by his own intelligence agency. And that's just one example. Another very important example uh, would be um, Vice Admiral Robert Murat, who was a top, top official, um, intelligence official in the Obama administration. In fact, Vice Admiral Robert Murat, M-U-R-R-E-T-T, who would, um, is currently the director of the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency, um, which is one of the major IC organizations in this country. Um, at the time, back in 2000, in August 2000, he was the director of intelligence for U.S. Joint Forces Command. In other words, he was the boss of JFIC. He may not have been the commander of JFIC. He's the guy the commander of JFIC went and answered to. And um, he was there from August 2000 to uh, January 2002. And it was during that period, um, particularly by August 2000, that the shutdown of uh, the stand-down of the tracking of bin Laden took place. Why isn't Congress asking Vice Admiral Robert Murat, the director of the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency, why they shut down the hunt for Osama bin Laden in the summer of 2000. Um, there are others uh, as well. 
One of them I'm working on now, and I'm not going to go into the name in this instance because I'm still working on the story, but who was um, another top intelligence figure working at U.S. Joint Forces Command, apparently was the man responsible for censoring the work uh, that JFIC and the Asymmetric Threats Command did that uh, uh, was sent on to Congress, which was a, uh, an attenuated, censored version of JFIC's work. This same man, by the way, later um, was both involved in, uh, uh, in ways that I will go into in my report in the, um, the, the origins uh, of the uh, torture, of the SEER-related torture that came out of Mitchell and Jessen, that uh, came out of Joint Forces, uh, uh, excuse me, um, JPRA, Joint Personnel Recovery Agency, which was the leader of SEER, which, by the way, also at that time was a subunit of U.S. Joint Forces Command. So here we have the torture program within the military coming out of U.S. Joint Forces Command Unit. We have another U.S. Joint Forces Command Unit that was um, tracking bin Laden but was shut down by top intelligence figures within U.S. Joint Forces Command. And the, the military brass that was leading all this uh, went on to either uh, higher levels of, of government or into military uh, um, um, importance, or they later retired and went on to work in related defense contractors, such as uh, Vice Admiral Meyer, who I mentioned before, who was hired uh, afterwards by, who retired in 2003 and was hired by Lockheed Martin. Um, so th this is an example of... Uh, some of the top figures, and there are others I could go into, but uh, who you know knew, knew about what was really going on, and have said nothing to this day. And by the way, Congress even to, no, um, we tried uh, both Jason Leopold and I to reach uh, both members of uh, the Senate and House Intelligence Committees who had been uh, involved in the 9/11 uh, uh, investigation by Congress. To get there, one of them, by the way, was Nancy Pelosi, um, who was here in my district, and uh, they had no. They, they would not get back to me. They would not return calls. Uh, this includes former Senator Graham, uh, who was on the 9/11 uh, later 9/11 Commission, but also was on the Congressional uh, Committee, um, Senate Intelligence Committee at the time. And uh, even though he's made a big stir about the need for a new investigation and points up the Saudis. In Florida, uh, he won't even return calls when it comes to answering questions about um, why his own committee was lied to. We can document it in terms of what military intelligence was doing in the lead-up to 9-11. So this is the kind of thing we're up against, the government that's just uninterested um, and covering up all so that we – I'm not going to pretend I know the actual story of 9-11. What I do know is that – a lot of things were covered up, and the answers are not being given as to why. And I, I truly wish I could say that that was surprising to hear about the non-reaction from, from Congress and Senate and, and others involved in supposedly being interested in actually following this story up, but it's not really surprising to anyone who knows the backgrounds of some of these characters, including Bob Graham, who never bothered to explain why he was breakfasting with General Mahmoud Ahmed on the morning of 9-11, and uh, the FBI's own internal investigation showed that uh, $100,000 was mailed from or was wired from Ahmed to Ada in the weeks leading up to the attacks themselves. So again lots and lots right. and lots of different 
points to be exploring in all of these things. But it does raise the question, given that we have this documented evidence, I mean, there's nothing to dispute here that Congress yeah. was not only misled, but actively lied to by people in the military uh, brass who, who actively lied about this uh, JFIC division and what it, what it was actually doing. What recourse do we have at this point? I mean, other than just appealing to Congress to sort of investigate their own shady connections, what what can people do who are genuinely concerned about this story and what it reveals about uh, about the military intelligence and about Congress itself? Well, I think people need first, to, of course, to educate themselves. They need to um, read about all of the... And I think, by the way, you did an excellent job. Uh, you posted on 9-11 uh, 35 reasons, I think the name of the story was not to to believe in the, the, the 9-11 story, at least just put out there, um, which I thought did an excellent summary of many you may, the things you already mentioned in this uh, broadcast, the FBI, Able Danger, um, our story on JFIC, um, the CIA, Al-Midar story, etc., is to educate yourself on these things. And then, of course, uh, um, you know, this country, if we're going to get to the truth behind these things, is going to uh, meet a hell of a lot of uh, public pressure. Um, I don't even know if it if it would work um, because I think that uh, what happens is you look deeply into this is that you see two things. One is that um, the powers that be are, are the institutions we have are, are perhaps hopelessly corrupted, and um, number two that this goes back much farther than than one would care to think. Um, one could go back and look. To begin with, at the initial World Trade Center bombing, uh, around which lots of questions still exist, um, or in particular, one could look back to the history of false flag attacks and uh, the way the U.S. has operated uh, to support, in fact, um, covertly terrorism as a way of uh, promoting uh, right-wing political military agenda, such as they did in uh, um, Europe under the auspices of uh, the Gladio operation, which has been written about, and uh, um, or in South America with the uh, um, Condor operations. So, uh, you know, this government has, it's very hard to look into these things, I have to admit. You asked what we can do. If I had the magic answer, I'd tell you. But just to educate yourself and then press your representatives or perhaps work with others, and perhaps the Occupy movement even is the very beginnings of something like this, in which a new uh, um, political poll in this country may need to come materialize, a new political party that would um, actually stand up for the truth, work for the people, and uh, um, challenge the, uh, you know, the existing powers uh, for both truth and justice, all of those good kind of things. But it, it's going to be quite a battle. It already is quite a battle, and it's... Uh, um, we have a lot of work to do. We certainly do. And and let's be clear about, about the points that you bring up there. You bring up a lot of good points, including, of course, the original World Trade Center bombing and all of the, the really strange things that were never properly investigated about that, including even how the blind shake actually got into the U.S., apparently right. allowed in by the CIA and all, all yeah. that kind of shenanigans. Um, you t- talk about Operation Gladio, which, as you point out, was used to demonize left-wing opposition parties in Europe during the 70s and 80s and 
uh, the NATO stay behind operation that was there that now declassified, totally documented um, terror attacks that were committed by these these forces um, that used to blame on their political enemies. But to be clear, I, I don't believe this is a left or right issue. Ultimately, I think that both uh, left and right administrations, certainly in the U.S., have used these attacks and have benefited from them. And uh, and we saw under the Clinton regime, the World Trade Center bombing and, uh, and the OK, OKC bombing, which was used to bring in the crime omnibus bill and the really proto prototype of the Patriot Act itself, as uh, Vice President Biden has admitted. And we yeah. see uh, the cover-up continue under the Obama administration without uh, without so much as missing a beat. So I, I don't situate this in the left-right political context. I think this is more about a uh, ruling oligarchy that's consol- consolidating power by a recourse to these types of um, uh, underhanded shenanigans that are going on. So I, I, I really want people to, to really look at this and, and take a look at the information as you've been laying out, again, in report after report on Truth Out, about this story, which is just, as I say, another data point in a very, very large graph that indicates something very different than what we've been told. So, um, so you started reporting this back in about May of this year, is that right? Yeah, I came. Um, I came across it. Uh, yeah, probably in in early May. I read a, a Stephen Aftergood's uh, a secrecy news site. A, a small blurb, very small, just a sentence that an IG report had been uh, um, uh, released that uh, spoke to um, um, uh, spoke to the uh, review of Joint Forces Intelligence Command's response to nine eleven. And uh, that I, Inspector General's report itself was dated uh, November 2008. Um, it took um, what had uh, um, brought that about, of course, was um, Iron Man's own request um, for that document and uh, his own Freedom of Information request for certain documents, which he had already but couldn't release. Um, you know, this guy is one of, uh, makes him also different than some of the other whistleblowers. Is he's still working in the intelligence community? I can't be sure, but I believe he works even currently for the De- Defense Intelligence Agency. I don't know that for a fact, but I believe uh, the document, the Inspector General's report, has him working with the DIA as of 2008. Um, and he has never released anything uh, uh, of information to me or anyone that he didn't already get declassified himself. So That, that uh, is remarkable, especially considering the way uh, Lieutenant Colonel Anthony Schaefer was so thoroughly demonized in the wake of him, his coming out about the 9-11 Commission and their cover-up of Able Danger. I think right. wouldn't, I mean, it seems to me this person's career would be in jeopardy for bringing this information to light. Well, this, it would seem that, that way to me, too, and perhaps for all I know it is, uh, he... You know, I, I, I can't say we sit and have a bunch of personal conversations. Um, but uh, I got the impression, anyway, and this is maybe me reading between the lines, that he represents a group of people. He said at one point, there are people that, yeah, we would like to be able to speak to Congress if they would ask us, right, that there's a group of people who, within the intelligence community, and this shouldn't really be a surprise to anyone, knowing that probably most that we have that's been leaked out um, outside of what, say, the ACLU or a few other uh, organizations have gotten via the Freedom of Information Act, come to us thanks to leaks from within, most likely, the intelligence community or military itself. That's how we found out about uh, the SEER torture. That's how, um, most likely, uh, someone within the intelligence community, um, I guess it could be the Department of Justice, leaked the first um, OLC 
memos on torture. Uh, the, the, um, and so uh, there are people who know. Uh, in fact, Iron Man was asked, and um, uh, or actually he said at the, uh, at the end, he had a good friend uh, who he worked with who was in uh, um, uh, Asymmetric Threats Division, Kirk Von Ackerman who I believe at one point became the acting deputy chief of, um, and he was uh, the man who had worked a lot of the intelligence and, and had, in fact, figured out that the uh, al-Qaeda's uh, main target in the United States was the World Trade Center and the Pentagon. And uh, Von Ackerman uh, left the military for reasons that are unclear and went and worked for a contractor in Iraq in the early days of the Iraq War and then was uh, just disappeared off the face of the earth his death or his missing, his presumed dead, is, uh, is one of the great mysteries. He's the longest missing American in Iraq, although not many people know his name, Kirk von Ackerman. Um, uh, but in any case, uh, um, he makes clear that what he, that he is haunted by what happened on 9-11, that when, uh, um, you know, when 9-11 comes, it was, uh, uh, um, it's something that haunts him, let's put it that way. Uh, and he worked with people who now perhaps are dead or whatever, Who and uh, um, as he said, he wants to be able to explain to this dead man's children what their father foresaw. They believed that they had um, figured it out and they were shut down. Exactly right. Well, as we know, there are good people working on, on all of these uh, cases in so many different agencies, and uh, the, the orders often come from higher up, as they did in this case, to shut down the investigations. So on that note, let's take a short break. We'll be right back again after these messages. Welcome back, friends. We are here on the closing minutes of Corbett Report Radio and another very interesting broadcast tonight. And again, this is a very, very interesting story that we're going into with Dr. Jeffrey K. tonight, but probably too much information to cram into one single hour. So I hope that people will go and follow the links from the CorbettReport.com slash radio show notes for tonight's episode, which will be going up in a few hours that will have links to all three reports that uh, Dr. Jeffrey Kay and Jason Leopold have written on this subject so far. But uh, just uh, wrapping up here, uh, Dr. Kay, tell, tell people about some of the other work that you've been doing, uh, specifically about uh, ter- uh, torture in Guantanamo. Sure. Um, well, the bulk of my work really has been on the torture issue. Um, earlier this year, I did a two-part series of Truth Out documenting, which no one had done thus far, um, all the use of water torture, including waterboarding or waterboarding-style torture by the military, um, something which uh, former Secretary of Defense Rumsfeld had denied ever took place, but I've documented that, and you can read it in a two-part series of uh, Truth Out. Also, along, again, with Jason Leopold, but also along the line of some other researchers at the Seton Hall School of Law, Center for um, Policy and Justice, I think, um, had been working on the use of uh, drugs at Guantanamo, in particular mefloquine, which was an anti-malarial drug with horrific side effects. Today, um, pretty much uh, not used anymore um, by the military recently. But um, I, um, as you can read in our series at uh, Truthout, um, documenting the use of this uh, anti 
malarial drug on each and every incoming detainee at Guantanamo, even though there was no malaria in Cuba, and um, um, and going completely as we again we document against normal protocols for anti-malarial prophylaxis, um, which we believe is part of a bigger story, which is harder to get at, which was the how the military used drugs and the CIA for interrogations. It's been something that uh, has really flown under the radar. There was a story on it by Joby Warwick at Washington Post a few years ago, and that was about it. And finally, I've been writing for literally since 2006 when it came out to try and educate people about the fact that the Army Field Manual, which is put forth as the, um, the sane alternative to the CIA's crazy waterboarding enhanced interrogation torture, in fact, is, um, has within it, in its Appendix M and also throughout the other parts of the manual, in fact, it itself encapsulates a kind of uh, torture program that relies on sensory deprivation, sleep deprivation, solitary confinement, um, and, and some other things, including the use of drugs. Um, and I've written numerous articles about that. And uh, I really encourage, if there were one thing besides 9-11, people walked away from this with, which was to go to Google immediately and Google Appendix M, Army Field Manual, and become educated um, as I said, which is one of the most important things, to break down the government narrative about this so-called uh, humane interrogation, which in fact has not taken place um, in this country. And um, it's important that people know that. Exactly right. And it is a, an issue that, again, has really fallen off the radar to a large extent, and people just aren't talking about it nearly enough, I think, given the magnitude of the information. So I certainly hope that you will join us again in the future to talk specifically on that issue. And sure. also to talk about uh, your future reporting on the issue we've been talking about tonight. And again, you're, you are working on breaking even more information about this. And do you have an estimated yeah. time on that uh, new report on this information? Um, well, we're not going it, to... Sometime early in the year, um, perhaps January, February, perhaps at the latest. All right, excellent. Well, we'll be looking out for that, and I will let the listeners out there know once that's been posted. So, Dr. Jeffrey Kay, thank you again for your time tonight. An absolutely fascinating conversation. And as I say, we will be talking to Dan Dix of PressForTruth.tv tomorrow night, so please go and check that out beforehand to get ready for that conversation. And on that note, I will leave it there. So thank you again for listening, and please take care.